tired. So tired. Overtired. Hey. I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm here with Christina Warren, and you are listening to Overtired. See, I did it a little bit out of order, but I still pulled it off. I'm getting way better at this. Totally getting better at this. It's actually very, very good. How are you, Brett? I'm good. How many years have we been doing this now? Seven. That's that. It took me way too long to 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 figure out how to do intros. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, we we did have like. We were consistent, and then we weren't. Yeah, there was a there was a, a couple years in there for me to get rusty again. For sure, we have we are more consistent now than we ever have been. I know it's it's actually pretty great. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, this is a, a a regular part of my week, and I enjoy it. So, how's your mental health this week? Let's just jump right into like regular segments. How how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm tired. Um, it is early as I'm recording this, but I'm because we had to make some adjustments for your job, which completely great. Like I have no problem with that at all. Um, but I am um, I'm, I'm a little bit tired, but I'm okay. Um, I'm a little frazzled this week and next week because Microsoft Build is next week, and so I've got all this stuff that I have to do. All these things have been promised for. And stuff that I've got to get ready because I'm hosting next week. And there are like all these side projects that happen. And on the one hand, like that can be stressful. But on the other hand, it's almost like easier not to focus on other externalities that might be, you know, not great because you're just busy. Sure. Yeah. Like throw yourself into your work kind of thing. Yeah. Basically, like, yeah, when when you're so busy, you can't really like focus on anything else. But yeah, I'm okay. Um, I, uh, you know, I was, I was home with my family for 10 days and I didn't, it is weird. Cause I want to, I want to preface this by saying I would never move back home. Like that would never be a thing, <laughs> but it, it is, it has been like, you know, it was really nice seeing everybody and it was really hard to leave. And, and that it was like the first time that it was like really difficult for me to leave. And, um, I'm actually going back at the end of next week for the Memorial day weekend. Uh, so because uh, I need to get my airline status anyway. So, uh, you know, might as well. But um, but Grant's going to go with me um, on that trip. But yeah, it was it was harder for me to, to leave than I thought that it would be. And uh, that surprised me. How was flying? It was fine. Um, you know, everybody wears a mask. I should preface this by saying that I used upgrade certificates and my status got me one of the ways upgraded without using one. So I was in first class, but the planes that I was taking because of how they've rearranged routes and stuff. Um, well, they, they sometimes have these planes configured even pre COVID, but it's the, it's the business class flights. It was like the international planes. So your first class seat is like a lay flat seat rather than like the typical thing. Well, yeah, I purposely book those flights for that reason. Um, because you pay the same amount of money for first class and you could either be sitting in like a shitty chair where you have a little bit more leg room or like a private, you know, full thing. Yeah. Um, so if the scheduling works, I always, if I'm going to Atlanta or New York, um, I always like look for those things and I always try to book those flights. But, um, the, the flying itself was fine. Um, so the reason I prefaced it with that was because I was in my own little cocoon area. So like I have a mask on, which is annoying because it, it makes my rosacea act up, but you know, you wear it, whatever. And I'm in my own little like space. 
I don't know what it would have been like, you know, normal stuff. Um, but the, the flight out was not busy because it was a red eye. The flight back was packed and both airports were packed. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like that still feels weird. The other thing is, so, so it was weird. Cause like the airport and stuff like feels like it's back to normal, even though we know things aren't back to normal, but then they won't give you a blanket or a pillow or sure. actual food on the airplane. And the lounge is restricted. So, you know, like there's, there's this weird half measure. So it's like one of those things where like you kind of feel like you're back to normal, but then you're reminded of all the ways you're not, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a weird thing. But I mean, it was fine. I'm I'm double vaxxed. I'm not concerned about any of that. I trust the vaccines. And at a certain point, we're going to have to get out in, you know, the open anyway, right? Like not everybody, I guess, but most of us are going to have to to do that anyway. So I'm, I'm not super concerned that way, but it was, I guess, slightly disconcerting given the numbers, what we know the vaccination numbers are just to see so many people at the airport and traveling. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause you know that not everyone there is vaccinated. One, exactly. Exactly. And, and I'm, I'm on this weird thing. I don't want to go on a whole rant on this, but I am curious about your thoughts and I want to hear about your mental health update stuff. Like I'm not necessarily in favor of like, I don't love the idea of like digital, like passport vaccination passports in the sense that I, I want like, you know, a government mandated like list, but at the same time, it does bother me that no one is checking those things. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a middle ground. Like for instance, when you travel to certain countries, you have to show that you've been vaccinated. Now they don't have a database that they're checking right. up against. Yeah. But, but they're at least looking for the proof that, that you have that. And the fact that that's not even happening, I don't love, right? Like I, I'm not saying that I want in our country, I know some countries which are not America are, fine with having government databases of people's vaccination records. A, I don't trust the U.S. government uh, to, to be secure with that stuff. I just don't. B, we are the United States of America. We are not Korea. We are not Singapore. We are not like other places. Like that's, that's not who we are as a country for better or for worse. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be at least trying to enforce or have people show proof that they've been vaccinated. You know what I mean? Even if people were able to fake it, like that requires a level of, of malice and a forethought for someone to go through that process of faking a certificate, you know? Yeah. Especially for something they could just do for free. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like, like I just, I, I, it just, it just, it's, it's interesting to me that like to go to Brazil and to come back from Brazil, I have to be vaccinated against a number of things, but with COVID, like some countries do want proof of it, but in the United States, they're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, the, the fact that the CDC guidelines are entirely an honor system. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't work because the people who are most likely to not be vaccinated are the people who would most likely uh, stop wearing their masks anyway. Like it, the, the, the yeah. crossover there isn't such that 
people are going to feel bad that they didn't get vaccinated and and do the right thing. No, I mean, I, th- I think I think the thing that like makes that fall apart, because I do feel like in some cases and in some societies, you might be able to rely on an honor system maybe a little bit more than than what you would um, in America. But we don't think the rules apply to us. Yeah. Like collectively as a culture, like we just don't. And, and I can even feel that way about myself with certain things, not for stuff like vaccinations, but with other smaller things. And you're like, ah, whatever I I, I do, whatever, you know? Um, so it's like this weird thing where, you know, in in all places for the honor system not to work, because in some places the honor system I think could work, right? Like going back to the cultures who have the, the, the government mandated, you know, like vaccination records, like in Singapore, people would not lie about this. Um, because they would be afraid that the government would like shoot them. And here, yeah, it's just like trustworthy. And I get why the CDC guidelines are what they are because they're correct, but it seems to miss the fact that we're not yet at herd immunity and that people will just lie and will just be like, well, and, and then we'll write it off as being like, well, I haven't been around anyone so it doesn't matter if I say that I've been vaccinated or not because I haven't been sick in a year and no one I know has died. Right. So, I don't know. Like, anyway, that's my rant. I'm supposed to... Uh, okay, so there are uh, IT compliance standards at my new job mm-hmm. that require that I run McAfee antivirus on all of my computers. Oh, God. We had that for a while, except it was Sophos. Ugh. And like it, much like vaccination, it's one of those things I feel like I can get away with because... I, right. I'm I'm careful. I know I know what happens on my machine. It's not like they're checking to see if I have like SIP disabled or anything. Uh, right. It they did point out that, and I don't know how they know this, but I did not have uh, uh, disk encryption turned on on my new mini, which was an entire uh, an oversight on my part. I absolutely meant to have disk disk encryption. But I get these emails that are like, here are the following things about your personal machines that are not in compliance. And uh, I find it, I, f- I feel like I'm above the law in those regards. And I, I'm not, obviously, like I have to, I have to meet compliance. They, they pay me to be compliant. So it's fine. But I get that attitude of like, this doesn't apply to me. Right. No. And, and that's, see, that's a perfect example because I do the same thing. Like we, have a, a MDM system. So they, because of the compliance issue that you noted, like they just installed antivirus on our Macs. If your Mac was in tune um, and was like controlled by the MDM, but there are ways where you could still access certain resources without it being in tuned. So you would still technically need to have an antivirus, but there, but there'd be no way of them knowing. Um, and, but they had to like do that. Now they got rid of the Sophos and now they're using the Microsoft antivirus, which is better, but yeah, it's one of those things. Like we've all been in in jobs and had stuff where we're like, "Well, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't." Yeah. So, yeah. So I do. I want to come back to this because I have a cool story about it. Uh huh. But I will say that. Okay, so I haven't since the last time this came up. I have not had a manic episode. Um, awesome. I have slept for months now without interruption, and. Uh, the only thing that's been happening is about about once a month, I have three or four days of this like very hypo depression. Yeah, like just 
like I just want to sit on the couch. I'm not like down on myself. I don't have the like dark thoughts. I just don't have the motivation. And so I'm going through that right now for the first time since starting the new job. And I'm finding like I can I can cope. Like I'm not going to be on my game, but I can still make it to meetings. I can still get my work done. And like, it, it's a relief to me to know that I can pull this off. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit like I, the, my direct teammates, I let know what's going on because uh, I'm, I'm an open, honest person and it feels better to me to uh, just talk about it than it does. I mean, that's why I'm always honest about my mental health because it, mm-hmm. it actually like physically hurts me to like bottle it up and, and right. try to hide stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I, actually, I think that's a great point because I think a lot of people don't know that sometimes about like depression and things like that is that I think for a lot of us, we spend so much time not talking about it and hiding it and pretending to be okay. Yeah. And it eventually bubbles up and comes out and it's so much worse. Yeah. But I haven't talked to my manager about it yet. And and I just like since starting, they switched my manager and my first manager, I would have felt more comfortable bringing it up. But now I I plan to, but I don't know how it's going to go over. Yeah, that's hard. I've, I've run into this myself, too, and I don't have the frequent episodes or in, you know what I mean? Not frequent, but more frequent episodes like like you do. My stuff tends to be those um like i don't have the highs and the lows and so i just have like prolonged periods of depression frankly that i often ignore and uh try to kind of find a way to work through or whatever but it is a difficult thing to have a conversation about especially when you're new or when you have a new manager legally they are required to provide accommodations yeah and they are they are required to not hold it against you but yeah you feel like if i say this thing especially somebody I don't know, are they going to look at me differently? Are they going to right. treat me differently? Am I yeah. going to get fewer opportunities? Yeah. It's a real question. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like, I I, I have developed, <laughs> like, a, a, a philosophy that says that I, I can't, I won't work at a job where I have to lie about my mental health. So yeah. it's got to happen. Uh, it, and like I said, like I've talked to teammates about it. I just need to, uh, uh, but if it doesn't affect my work, should I? Like, that's the question in my head. Like, do I even, if I'm able to do my job, does it really matter? Maybe not. I mean, I think it depends. Like, I don't actively talk about it with my managers and whatnot, but I know that they see me on social media and yeah. they know that that stuff. And so, and I don't hide it and I don't hide it for a reason. Um, I don't hide it because it's important for me not to. And because we've heard from people, like even just doing this show, we've heard from people who us being open and honest about our mental health has helped them. And before we even did our show, I'd heard from people who, and this was before I had any sort of status, if you want to say, and have status now, um, which, which, which is debatable, but before I was even established. Um, but I, you know, was on Twitter and I would talk about, my medications and things like that. And, and I'd heard from people later on who was like, you talking about what medicines you were on being honest about it got me to go to the doctor. Yeah. And 
you only have to hear that once, I think. Um, and, and both of us have heard this many times. I think you've heard it more than I have because you've been really honest about stuff, which is amazing. But I feel like you only have to hear that once for that to be like life altering in terms yeah. of making you not want to shut up about it. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. that, 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 that's all it takes. But, um, I don't know if it's not affecting your work right now. I don't think you have to bring it up. I do feel like if you know that it could potentially be an issue, you don't need to go into the details. You just need to say, Hey, sometimes there are periods where I might be a little less productive or I might be a little, you know, yeah. um, down. I feel like it would be good to get ahead of that. Cause there are definitely. Yeah. That, that would be my, my recommendation. Cause like what I do when I have, and I've gone through the manager gauntlet, I've had like nine managers in four years. Um, and I think it's about to be 10. So, <laughs> you know, um, it is that I, I try to tell people who I work with on a consistent basis, Hey, I'm ADHD. Um, during meetings, like this has not been an issue in the last year, but an in-person stuff, like, and I've done this for years where I'm like, Hey, I'm paying attention. Like if I'm in a one-on-one meeting, this is not going to be the case. But if I'm in like a big group meeting with like 10 people, I'm usually going to be on my phone and I'm usually going to be playing like a, a match three game. And I'm doing that so I can concentrate on the meeting. Yeah, It is literally like, even my doctor has said, this is something that is good. And, but people will, will take it as rudeness. And so I, I try to get off of the office and be like, look, if this is really bothersome or whatever, we can try to work something else out. But I'm, I'm ADHD. I literally cannot focus unless my brain is doing something else. This is how I handle it. Just so you know, this is what's going on. And people are, are, um, usually completely fine with it. I've only had a couple instances where people haven't been. And usually in those cases where they'll try to kind of call me out, like, you know, a teacher would in school and try to be like, Christina, what were you doing this? And then I'm like completely on it, completely engaged. And they're like, oh, well, she's right. completely engaged. So we'll, we'll leave it alone. Um, and, and there've been other instances where I haven't maybe been as honest as I should have been. And I've been late on stuff and I've been bad about it. And then I've had to kind of, you know, go with my tail between my legs. And I'm like, oh no, I should have been more honest. I, I, I can't speak for your situation. I don't know your manager or anything. Um, I think getting ahead of it would be a good thing. But I also think that the last year has been a good thing in the sense that managers and corporations and, and, and big and small companies have to have, have to be a lot more understanding because everybody now, I think whether they've suffered from like an officially diagnosed condition or not knows what like having a, a bad mental state is like now, right? Like right. I feel like the whole world collectively has been going through something where we we haven't gone through it before. And so people are more accommodating by design because they know that like life is hectic because even if you don't have any like mental health conditions, if you're completely neurotypical, but you have kids who are now being, you know, having to be homeschooled and you have a small house and you're trying to figure out how to work and do that other stuff that adds stress. And that can add, maybe, maybe somebody was laid off. Maybe there was some other stuff going on. Like there are now these things that I think people collectively have empathy for. So I think that there's more understanding than there would have been a year ago where if you go to a new manager who you don't know anything about and you're a new employee and you're like, Hey, sometimes I might not be as productive because of this. And they might be like, well, this guy's just a fuck up or what the hell. And now I think people are like, yeah, we, we know that everybody has stuff and we can be accommodating. Did you read the New York times article on languishing? 
I did. You sent it to me and it was really good. Yeah. So like there's this concept that uh, that the pandemic has highlighted of uh, you're not depressed. You're just not thriving in a situation where you normally would, where you're just mm-hmm. languishing. And they've, yeah. they've added a word for it. It's like part of the lexicon now. And people who are languishing now have a higher chance of having a, a, a PTSD 10 years from now. So it is like, it's a legit uh, problem. It's not just, oh, you're having a blah day. Uh, there's this concept that people who are otherwise uh, not currently diagnosed with depression, not currently diagnosed with anxiety, uh, but are going through something that can have long-term effects. And and I do think that the pandemic has really highlighted mental health in a way that affects more than just those with uh, the common diagnoses. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, I think what I hope is maybe a good thing from this is that it will it will make people who haven't experienced it at all, like more empathetic for the people who have, and that it will maybe reduce the stigma. And that's maybe a big ask and maybe that won't happen, but, but, but that's, that's the hope anyway. So here's, here's a cool story. You ready? Yes. Um, I, I, uh, it was after our last episode, I, I get, uh, uh, I don't know why I can't talk today. I get a, a Slack message from a guy named David who works at Oracle and has been listening to Overtired for years. And, uh, so, so there are people within the company listening and he had listened to the episode where I complained about the VPN and he showed up and told me that, uh, the app Shimo or any v- VPN app that works with, uh, Cisco, uh, I could use instead of the AnyConnect app that doesn't store my credentials. Oh, yes. So now I can just, I I have a single click in my menu bar that can get me on and off the VPN without having to store my password or like paste my password every time. Oh, that's so good. And there's like HTTP proxies that you can use to still be able to use like Spotify while you're on the VPN. And he he oh, he changed yeah. he changed the world for me. It was awesome. That's so cool. I love it so much. Um, I've had this a couple times. No, no overtire listeners. I I, I don't think. Um, but uh, although there, I probably do work with some people who listen to Overtired now, but I don't think anybody who'd listened to it like beforehand. But I do sometimes have like um um coworkers who I've never met, um, email me or, or Slack me after teams me, I guess, after they've heard me on Twit or, um, uh, rocket even. And it's the same kind of thing, which is just the best. Um, so, uh, his name is David, you said? Yeah. Yeah. David? I, don't, I don't know if I That's should awesome. give his full name. Uh, no, like, don't I don't full, know how no, secret no, no. it is. But. No, no, no. Don't, don't give his full name, but that's a very common very common name. So, yeah. but yeah, shout out to David because that's awesome and and good uh, good colleaguing there. And I knew I knew that there had to be like people who knew tips and tricks. And Shimo is that that's a setup app, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, I I love that. Um, that's really really good. Speaking of setup apps, have you used Paletro? I haven't. Oh my god, I'm super. So you know how like in a Mac app you can type Command Shift question mark. 
and yeah. focus the help menu and then use that to search all the menu items. What if you could do that with fuzzy matching and get all of the option, uh, like sometimes you hold down option and menu items change. What if you could get all of those in a palette the way you would in like uh, VS Code? That's what Paletro does. So I can type in any app, I can type command shift P and then just type any part of a menu item and then hit return and execute it. Oh, I'm okay. I'm installing this right now because that's awesome. Like that's something that I would seriously, that I will use all the time because that is frequently one of those things that I, I sometimes like have an issue with. Like there are other apps that have done similar things to that, but not quite to that extent. But there are oftentimes when I'm trying to access a menu thing and I really just want to do it from the from the command line. Well and or I not the command line, but from my keyboard. Something happened with Big Sur where a lot of times if I use that command shift question mark trick, it'll find the menu item, but I can't hit return to actually execute it. And then when you move the mouse to go to it, the whole thing disappears, right? And then you have to like drill back down and find right. the menu option again. Yes. I, I don't yes. know why that's happening, but it's kind of defeated the purpose of that trick for me. Paletra brought it back. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, no, and that that would defeat the purpose because the whole purpose is like you don't want to move the mouse around, and right. so it, and and like the whole purpose is you're in your brain, you're in your like zone. You don't want to do that. And you if got you your have flow. to, you got well, that's exactly it. Like this is the thing. Like I have nothing against mouse at all. Um, neither of us do, but sometimes like when you're just in your flow, like you just just want to use your keys, man. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I'm installing that now. Um, should we, uh, actually, this might be a good, uh, a segue for, uh, for headspace since we just talked about mental health. Oh yeah, totally. So one of our sponsors today is headspace, which I have, you know, been loving for quite some time. Uh, if people keep telling you to try meditation and you're like, when would I have time? You <laughs> should check out headspace. Uh, headspace is a daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy to use app. Headspace is one of the only apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Head, Headspace meditations start at just one minute each, which you, you definitely have time for. And they even have a set of walking meditations, so they're easy to fit into even the busiest schedules. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, Headspace even has a three-minute SOS meditation you could do anytime you need it. Headspace is proven to help you feel better. Just 30 days of Headspace lowers stress by 32% and just four sessions can reduce burnout by 14%, which in my line of work, uh, in Christina's line of work, uh, 14% less burnout is, is, is not something to laugh at. No. Uh, and as and both of us are ADHD people and like the idea, the concept of meditation can seem very foreign. Uh, or you can just assume it's not for you, but Headspace makes it so simple and so easy that uh, you can quickly come to the realization that perhaps an ADHD mind is the mind that most needs meditation. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash overtired. 
That's headspace.com slash overtired for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal you'll find right now, so head to headspace.com slash overtired today. Awesome. Good call. That was a that was a great spot to slot that in. Not this, not the Paletro lead in, but the mental health lead in. Yeah, yeah. Well, but but the Paletro thing, like, but see, then you talked about the ADHD thing, so like it all fit. Like, oh my gosh, we're we're we are we're fucking professionals. We are fucking professionals. It's good. It's good stuff. So yesterday, I was eating some uh, some mushroom jerky. It's like beef jerky made with mushrooms and i was waiting for my bean based sausage to cool or uh, to thaw so that i could have lunch and i was going to cook it in my fancy uh pan that uh that i love and i bought because i love the knife that i bought from the same company and uh it dawned on me that all of these things came from Instagram ads. And even even the non-alcoholic beer I was going to have with lunch that I was very much looking forward to because BrewDog is amazing. Like it all it all came from Instagram ads. And I've realized Instagram is uncomfortably good. It is it is um so this is an interesting question and I don't know the answer to this. I don't think it will affect anything. But I'm curious, you know, the whole iOS uh, 14.5, like, whole, like, no tracking thing. Yeah. Like, Facebook's mad about it. Um, A lot of apps are mad about it. And they're like, hey, this will really help us improve your ads. Can we track you? And I'm like, no. No. I don't think that your Instagram ads should be impacted by this, although Facebook certainly thinks so. Because I feel like the Instagram ads are usually based on, like, the accounts you follow and the stuff you interact with. Yes. But here's the thing. Instagram, since I turned on the tracking blocking, has started going all in on advertising hair products to me. Which is like not the Which, thing. It makes sense because I've been doing this like history of Brett's hair, uh, posting pictures of my various mohawks and bleach jobs and and punk rock ha- hairstyles. And so it's safe for them to assume that... I have hair if they know nothing else about me. Right. But I get these ads of like these dudes with like shoulder length hair talking about how tangled it gets and how this conditioner smooths it out. And they have this whole hair care regime that regimen that does not uh, in any way interest me. And it's almost comforting to know that I have foiled Instagram advertising, but at the same time, like seriously, I have discovered so much good stuff from that. Yeah, no, I have too. I haven't bought a ton of stuff off of Instagram, although I have bought some things, but it's been one of those things where I always feel like bad about it, but then I see <laughs> right? like, shirts and I feel other stuff, but it's effective. And like, and it makes me hate Mark Zuckerberg a little bit because I'm like, God damn it. Like uh, not that Mark Zuckerberg created um, Instagram or, or even had much to do with it for its first decade or, or right. close to a decade of, of existence. But you know what I mean? Like, it just makes me just cause like he's the worst and um, you know, it just makes you, it's just one of those things where you're like, I don't know about this. Um, but yeah, um, he uh, for sure. Like that's one of those interesting, like, damn it. You know, like 
things because um, it's effective. Like, yeah, it works. Well, and like when small on. businesses ask me, like, what they should, where they should put their ad budgets, which it doesn't happen often. I'm not an I'm not an ad guy. I'm not like the go to guy for this. But right when it comes up, I'm always like, you know, Instagram seems to allow you to actually target people who would be super interested. And mm-hmm. as far as bang for the buck goes, it's where I would recommend putting your money. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's actually funny. So I'm also not an ad person, but I was asked, there was a whole thing where I was asked to um, give a talk at the um, Association of National Advertisers uh, a number of years ago, which was an interesting event. Um, and. I basically had to do a trend report. I was basically kind of doing a trend analysis thing of like what were some of the bigger trends we were seeing in social media and in other places. And one of the things that I was talking about, and this was 2013, I think. So this was Instagram ads were new. And I was like, no, this is where you, this is where you need to be putting your money. This is going to be a big deal like this. And that was before they even had a lot of the targeting and, and like the, the breadth of the of the campaigns that they have now, but I was like, no, this is effective. People like the photos, especially if you make an engaging ad, which I think the nature of, of Instagram forces advertisers to make better ads if they want them to work. Like you can't just get away with like your typical, like really cheap, like, you know, flabby belly fat ad. Like right. you, you have those. <laughs> One but weird trick. Have- Right, exactly. Well, the thing is, is that what'll happen there is that you just pay influencers to to drink the fat tummy tea and and like do that, you know, stuff. Be like, hey, take this laxative; it'll make you look like this. Like that's how you get away with that. But if you want the actual ads to work, like you have to make it look like part of people's feeds and and stand out. Like there's a there's a certain science and and probably like psychological thing you have to do with it. Like there's an art to it, right? Yeah. And and so I don't know. I I. Again, I'm not an ad person, but I I feel I feel like I called that relatively early compared to people who are alleged experts because um, I got I didn't get a blowback from it, but I did get some surprise from people, you know, who I, I after I gave the talk because I it was I was one of the keynotes at, at that conference that year, and you know people who these were this is their profession and and seemed surprised that I was like so bullish on Instagram ads. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, if you're trying to figure out where to put your money, I would be looking at either direct sponsorships into things like, um, you know, podcasts or YouTube videos, not pre-roll, but like, you know, host red stuff. If it's a YouTube thing for podcasts, you might be able to actually do, you know, uh, the generated, not Mid- generated, mid-roll, like, yeah. mid-roll stuff, right? Like that, that might, might work too. Um, and Instagram, cause you're more than likely going to be able to fit like, get a lot more like dedicated people to really engage with what you're wanting. Here's my advice for YouTube advertisers. This is what works on me and I am possibly an outlier, but don't try to trick me. If it, if, if it looks like, like maybe someone I follow and forgot about is, is super psyched about this product and I see that it's a sponsored link. I I'm done. I'm out. If it's clever, and it shows up in my feed, and it's clearly an ad, but it's for something that, honestly, uh, I would pause to watch. You're good. If it's too clever, if you've done this whole, like, super-produced, scripted, like, uh, hilarious skit about your product, 
I I will probably roll my eyes and continue on. It's this there's this certain level of cleverness that it, it's just like I I love commercials. Like yeah, I too. I really enjoy commercials. I wish that uh Hulu had more commercials that weren't insurance companies. Um not that I hate all like Jake from State Farm, love that guy. It yeah. got, got weird with the talking dog, but those those were I like those ads. I think they're doing a great job. Um, but anyway, like there, it's still, it needs to feel like an ad to me for me to be comfortable with it. I don't like to be tricked and I don't like to be, uh, if it's too clever, it feels like it's manipulative and I just, just advertise to me like a normal person, like a, like a goddamn normal advertisement. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, and I also feel like there are some, because I watch a lot of the tech, uh, like a computer tech, like a YouTubers, like I feel like Linus Tech Tips does a good job with their ad reads. Um, they're they're usually not too clever. They'll do funny kind of uh, segues and and that can be useful. But yeah, I mean, just I, I love a good advertisement. Um, I've always loved like good advertising, uh, which is weird because like I find a lot of the the ad tech practices really creepy and gross. But I've lo- I used to collect print advertisements. I used to have like yeah. albums as a kid of what I thought were really well executed campaigns. That's and I love commercials. <laughs> I used to, I know I know I used to watch the Clio Awards when they would air them on sure. TV. You know, and which is an anthema. You know, now is to think that they would even do that. <laughs> right. Like, but like Fox would air the Clio Awards and you're like, okay, you know, and um, I, I don't know, it feels like in our, I don't know, like, I feel like advertising is an art. And I think this is one of the reasons why Mad Men was so successful as a show, right? Because it kind of, un, it like kind of opened up people, well, it was successful for a lot of reasons. But I think that part of it was that a lot of people innately have good memories associated with certain campaigns and that there can be like a real power in advertisement that isn't like creepy and and gross because there is an art to it if you're making something that's funny or memorable or, or, or whatever. Um, but in our bid as a society to just go to being as targeted as possible and getting as much data as possible and just trying to like ring like as much money and have as many high click throughs and whatnot, like that's, I feel like that's ruined the art of advertising. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Anyway, weird rant. So, so. So how's the Doge going? Oh my god! So crypto in general is in a free fall right now, which you know, fine. Um, but my Doge was up, so I was down, and then at the end of last week, like it recovered, and I was up over, I was up over fifty five cents, and I should have sold then. I should have sold then, and I didn't. And now I'm like almost at break even. I'm like I've only made four hundred and fifty dollars at this point. So it is at like, as we're recording this, it's like at 34.7 cents. So it might, might, it might go back to 35, but it is, it is down um, today. Um, It was, it was at 2 a.m. It was almost 40, yeah, it was 43 cents at 2 a.m. Pacific time. And it is just like down. Um, The little bit of Bitcoin that I bought from Robin (laughs) Hood I've lost, I've lost $216 on. So I've lost 43%. And I'd already lost some uh, when I, I sold some of it that I'd, I'd already put into it to, to sell for more Dogecoin. So like, I've just taken a complete bath on Bitcoin. Like I literally bought it at the peak. Like it was, could not have, could not have timed the Bitcoin buy worse, to be honest. <laughs> um, like Bitcoin is just, Bitcoin right now is, is, uh, is tanking, which, uh, 
it's at $35,000 right now. I'm telling you, if it, if it, if it gets back and I said this before, like if it gets under 20,000 again, like I'm, I'm buying, I'm, I'm putting in like, I was going to say, is now a good time for me to buy Bitcoin? It might be. I don't know if we're at the bottom yet, but yeah, I mean, if it's for a long-term investment, this is my take and I'm not a financial advisor, but I have been following this space for enough years to have missed out on a lot of these things. And I'm mad at myself that a year ago when it was at six or 8,000 and I knew, I knew I should have bought in and I just didn't. Um, because I was like, I didn't think it would come back the way that it's come back now, but I, I thought that it would come back. But I feel like, you know, they go through these like booms and busts every few years and the, the, the lows are always still higher than what the previous lows were. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a long-term play, like for a short-term like day trading thing, I, I, I think it's too volatile. But I'm seriously considering, especially if it continues dropping, to be like, okay, if I wanted to put in, you know, a, an amount of money um, that, you know, normally put in stocks or whatever and, and make it like a long-term investment. And in that case, I would not use Robinhood. I would use like Coinbase or something where I actually own the coin and and whatnot and have it in a wallet. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely considering it at this point. Interesting. I suddenly have some money that I could right. invest, so... Right. Well, that's, that's the thing, uh, which is very exciting for you. Like <laughs> it really is <laughs> honestly, well, it, it, it's, uh, we're not going to tr- trust me, folks. Don't worry. We're not going to turn into like a, a finance podcast or anything, but, <laughs> um, but it's, but it's interesting because it's only been in the last few years that I've had money beyond like what was in my 401k to even just play around with stuff. Right. Like, so, um, no, this is exciting for you. Um, any updates on on the on the Mac front? Anything uh, new or, or challenging or going well with the with the M1 life? Yeah, I uh, I have I I haven't used my Intel MacBook Pro for a week now. Nice. Um, I have I'm recording our podcast today on the M1. Uh, all of my audio stuff is working. I have my second display set up, so Audio Hijack is running over on the side with my meters and. Uh, yeah, I feel like, I feel like I finally, oh, and I got my, did I have my blog? Yeah, I did last week. I had my blog rendering. I got the last couple kinks worked out of my Jekyll render system. Nice. And yeah, I think, I think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to do it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So my Doze dreams are dead. And so I should have bought the iMac when I did. Um, the reviews for the new iMac are out. They are exactly as I expected. People are like, this is not a replacement for the big iMac. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. Uh, and it's basically just, it's a more expensive version of the other M1 machines, but with a built-in screen. But that seems perfect for me for podcasting. So I am going to buy the pink iMac. So fairly soon, um, it's going to take a while to ship. And, and I'm trying to figure out when I want to actually place the order because I need to make sure that I know where I'm going to set it up in my office. Um, we will be a, a, a two M1 podcast. The The... <laughs> I thought you said two in one. I was like, <laughs> hey, well, maybe. But, but um, but no, I uh, it's it really is that much faster. Like, That's awesome things that took uh twenty thirty minutes to render, like the Jekyll blog, for example, mm-hmm. uh, now take under four minutes. And That's crazy. Things that took two minutes to render, like building a large Mac app, now it, it's like a, a blink. And it's it's running, and 
Like the slowest part of my render time now is just the like attaching the debugger. Everything else just flies. I'm super impressed with the speed on this thing. That's super nuts. Like when you consider that these aren't even like the chips that are really going to like fly, like the ones that they're allegedly working on are going to be even more powerful. Like, like these aren't even like the pro machines, right? Yeah. Like this isn't even the stuff like that they're, you know, working on to ostensibly replace the 16 inch MacBook Pro, which you had, or the the 27 inch iMac that, that I have, which, you know, is, is still running like a, a very, very fast Intel processor, 10 core processor. And, um, that's that's crazy. Like until we get quantum computers on our desktops, I think this is a wonderful a step forward. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a while. That'll be a while. Yeah, I have a lot of friends in in um in quantum who uh, who I'm always asking. I'm like, guys, when's it happening? When's it happening? They're like, Christina, <laughs> Christina, stop. We're we we're creating languages to work theoretically with ideas right. with quantum computers. Like, they're I actually saw a lab at Purdue where they're building some of the quantum materials for quantum computers. Yeah. It was actually really fascinating to see how they're how they're building the silicon stuff. It was really cool. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, the whole thing is baffling to me. I'm, I'm, I, I dread the day when I have to, like, when I actually have to comprehend it because it becomes accessible to me. Uh, like right now, the theory of it is fascinating. Like, yeah, the whole idea of quantum computing is mind-boggling to me uh the idea that it could one day actually <clears throat> function as like a personal computer it seems uh, uh unreachable but yeah I, I really i i hope that is where where we are headed i'm gonna add a link in our show notes since we were just kind of talking about uh quantum a little bit because uh my friend sarah dr sarah kaiser she is um a physicist and she's now a computer um, scientist. So she kind of switched careers. She went from like, like academia. So she was like a quantum physicist. And now she does um, a lot of stuff with Python and with um, uh, Q Sharp, which is Microsoft's language. Uh, it's not related to C Sharp. The naming is a whole thing because Microsoft and, and names. Uh, but it's, it's <laughs> the language that they've kind of built out to theoretically like work with with quantum. And, and um, so she... Uh, has written some books about that. She actually, you know, uh, she does a lot of Twitch streams. If people are interested in wanting to kind of get started more on that stuff. She's a really, really good follow. Uh, she and she and her partner are both um, in the space and are interesting to me because they are from the academia side, but they're also technologists. And that's to me uh, kind of this interesting fusion in quantum is that you have like these like hard science people who are then like meshing with the computer science stuff. And it's really fascinating. Nice. All right. That'll be in the show notes. I, uh, I'm realizing that we, we missed two good segues. We do. We did for, for our next sponsor, our next sponsor. And we had another story that would have fit in perfectly with the Instagram advertising. We conversation. did. We, did. We, we can just skip that story. <laughs> <laughs> so I am gonna I'm going to add to our conversation about apps you should have. Uh, yes. If you're searching for a super powerful PDF editing tool for your Mac, yes. iPad, or your iPhone, look no further than PDF Pen. Whether you're on the road or at your desk, need advanced editing features, or you just want to sign an email back a contract, PDF Pen has you covered. 
Sign and fill out forms, correct typos in your PDF, OCR scan documents, and redact sensitive info. The ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac now includes even more powerful features like page label support in multiple formats for documents. Pro users can go a step further with the ability to add or edit page labels. And that's in addition to the great features already available in PDF Pen, including a magnifier window to zoom in on documents, customizable compression settings, even stationary with new paper colors for custom page designs. PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro, and PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone all work together for seamless editing across devices when used with Dropbox or iCloud. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That's smilesoftware.com slash podcast. You won't regret it, especially if you have a PDF workflow in your life of any kind. Yeah, highly recommended. Um, if you need something that's going to be more powerful than preview, especially if you're you know needing to like make edits and stuff, the OCR feature is really good. I've used that um, over the years, so good stuff. Have you ever used Tech Sniper? I have. I, I another set app app. I love Tech Sniper. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh you were the one who told me about it, I think, because it it's kind of um like similar to uh yeah, like the the extracting stuff that it does is really cool. Yeah. You, you for anyone that I haven't talked to about this previously, you just you take a screenshot of text on your screen. And it OCRs it in place and puts it right under your clipboard. So you can like snap snap text out of a, an image as easily as you take a screenshot. Super cool. Yeah, no, it's actually really, really cool. Um, like, and a very smart use of OCR tech, which I see so many OCR demos because people use computer vision for OCR and it's a, it's a common like service. And, and you'll probably see this too, as you're doing more stuff with uh, your documentation and Oracle stuff. Cause I'm, I think Oracle has a, has a, some AI services or whatever. They're like very common demos that people, you know, build to do stuff. And so, but very rarely it, like this is a useful use case of that. Like it's actually a useful use case of like computer vision and OCR stuff to be like, Hey, we can actually, because it's a screenshot, usually the text on the screen is readable, not always, but you know, if it's digital, like it's going to be something that is going to be easy and quick to interpret. And so tech sniper, I, I think it's a really smart, it's a clever idea. First of all, I'm, I'm glad that they did it, but it's also one of those interesting, like, I don't see many good demos of this. I'm like, Oh, this is actually relatively simple in terms of what it's doing, but incredibly useful and what a good showcase of the technology. Totally. I should do this at the top of the show. So if anyone from Oracle decides to tune in for a minute, they would hear it. But I've been like learning about all of Oracle's services and I am really impressed. They can offer cloud computing for machine learning and data science that is twice as fast as anything you'll get through AWS and cheaper at the same time. It is like they they brought in the team that built a lot of the cloud, uh, the machine learning infrastructure. They brought in entirely from like Amazon, Google, uh, one other big tech, and like nobody from Oracle. Like they built this, this secret team and they were like, hey, you've been working in this space for 10 years. If you could start over and do it again, how would you build it? And they built a, a cloud platform that was basically learned from all of the mistakes of the people who had like built the original and the kind of mainstream 
it's pretty cool. Like I, I can sell this. I can talk about this. It's cool stuff. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and the cheaper thing is like not a joke. Like, um, I know this because competitive analysis, but also just cause I'm a nerd and I keep up with this stuff. Like Oracle's free tier as is really generous mm-hmm. and, and they've like gone out of their way to like make it really generous. So it's one of those things where I think, especially if you're just like looking at hobby projects and stuff to get started, like the AWS free tier still has a lot of good stuff in it, but most people have used their first year of like free compute resources at this point or whatnot. And some of the stuff that's always free, like the Oracle free tier is actually really, really good. Yeah. So. The always free tier. That's what it's called. Yep. I have to do, uh, I have to help write, uh, a three session, um, how to or like learning lab on machine learning, which is, I know nothing about it at this point. And so I have to actually, I have to be taught all of the concepts. And then I have to write the like tutorial, the materials for the sessions. And it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I, uh, I'm going to know more about machine learning soon. Yep. I was going to say, this is how I know what I know about machine learning, which is not a ton, but this is, this is what I know about it because it is, like just yeah uh I've, I've had to do very similar things to that where like they're like okay christina you need to write a talk about this right. area and present it oh and this talk needs to also be replica like um repeatable by other people who are not right. you yeah at future events so not only yeah. So not only, so it's similar to writing documentation because it's like, not only do you have to get this talk, but it can't be in your style. It has to be in a voice that could be anybody else's and it needs to cover these things. And we need to go over these points. And I'm like, okay, but I don't know anything <laughs> about this. Yeah. Well, we need this done. And oh, by the way, uh, you have seven days. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I, I can't recommend it more to just jump in and do it. Like for me, um, when I joined Microsoft and when I joined the Azure team, I knew some stuff, but I didn't, I wasn't super familiar with a lot of the Azure services and there were some things I just didn't know. And, and, you know, all of the different companies, how their products work and what their service features are, are different in some ways. And, and I didn't have any like knowledge on that, some of that stuff. And I'm so grateful that I took on the Azure networking fundamentals learning path thing to have to give that talk. And I had to give that talk like 11 times um, and, and write it because I like went to it. Like that was one example. I was like, I know nothing about Azure networking. I was like, I have no freaking clue. And I'm now going to be the lead presenter and the lead content <laughs> person on this. And I it shows it in part because I was like, oh, I could do this other one like this, the one that was more about like a, you know, a, a code development. Like that would have been an easier one to take. But I was like, Christina, you're never going to learn about Azure networking. You're never, you don't care. You're never going to learn about this unless you're forced. And then when I was forced, I was able to be like, oh, okay, well now I have a better understanding. And then when I talk to, to customers and to users and I hear you know, what their um, uh, pain points are or what the things they like are, like I can actually have an intelligent conversation. And you know, it's like picking up a new skill. It's like, it, it was, I haven't been in the classroom in so long that it was like a fun thing to learn, but that sometimes it like forces it on you when you have to create content. Um, one of the first things I did, you know what I mean? I was going to say like, this is for you too. Like when you have to do it, like it's, it's a great forcing mechanism because there's certain stuff that I just wouldn't personally invest in. And then like when I have to do it, I'm like glad in retrospect because I get a much better 
understanding of all the things. Like uh, last week you were talking about how you were having to outline what all the different services were for those pages or whatnot. And I had to do a similar thing where I had to recreate some videos because the Azure portal had changed. Now, by the time I created the videos, the portal had changed again. So <laughs> it was for nothing. But um, it was one of those great, again, like learning exercises because like, okay, well, I have to do a walkthrough for like base level people of what this stuff is. So I got to figure it out. Yeah. Which even for for me, like even having to do it does not necessarily mean I can focus and learn. But right. uh, I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to develop some new skills as far as uh, forcing myself to take interest in things that are not immediately uh, grabbing me. Like yeah. I, working independently, I've been able to just. <laughs> gloss over things I didn't care about, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's, it's like being back in school. I could always, I could always pass the test. I could always pass the test, even if I didn't care. And even if I didn't do the homework, (laughs) I'd get there. I'd get there. I can do this. Yeah, no, you can do it. And it's going to be a good, it's going to, it's just going to be like a good thing to, like you said, you're going to get a better skill out of this. Um, I've been better, I think, than you. Like, we talked about this. Like, I've been able to force myself to do stuff. But it, for me, it can be hard, too. I, I do sometimes need that that mechanism where I'm like, okay, you have a deadline. This has to be done by this date. And, you know, yeah. it's like it, 3 a.m. The, the day of. And you're like, all right, I'm working on it. Um, but, but having, like, a hard deliverable date, it can be a good thing. But I think that you're going to get a good skill of, of being able to, you know, maybe have to, like, force your focus for me, what, what helps. And I don't know if this will help for you or not, but for me, what helps, like if I'm genuinely interested in something, then it's much easier for me to focus on it. Yeah. And so what my trick has always been, and, and it's harder with some things than others is that, uh, but I used to do this in journalism too, when I would like have to work on stories that maybe initially weren't the most interesting, um, is that I find some thread in what I'm working on that I find interesting and I use that to like trick myself into finding the whole thing. Like I have to like search and like, okay, find the thing in this that's really interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and that, that's always my trick is to, to trick myself and be like, okay, on the surface, you don't care about this area, but there might, but there's something in here that, yeah. that, is, that is appealing to you. That's a good tip. I can find that thing. <clears throat> and now that I've lost my voice, I don't know why, <laughs> but I do, I have to, I have meetings. Uh, this is unusual for me, but I have to end the show now because I have a meeting to get to. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for, uh, for, for going, uh, Brett and, uh, have, have a good time at your meeting. It, it, <laughs> I, I me, like, like I, I like where I like work, Brett, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, and, and this meeting, and I don't know what to expect from it, but the title is MD content automation. And if MD stands for markdown and automation means automation, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm all in on this. It's going to be a I good was meeting. Gonna say, I was going to say this, this seems right up your alley. Um, I will also point out, and you guys probably already have your own systems and I'll let you go, but we, our documentation team uses, like they created a, a plugin that anybody can use in the Visual Studio um, code repository for documentation stuff, but they, they built like a, everything is in markdown. And they had they built some really really good um, extensions for for VS Code um, around their documentation stuff, and so there might be things there that you might be able to use in Fork 
in in what your team does, depending on what your workflow is. Just I, throwing that out there. I will check it out. That sounds awesome, especially as we build a whole new Markdown workflow here. Yeah, I was going to say like the, the the docs team, it's good, and and the stuff they've done, uh, it's it's all you know on GitHub. It's all open source, so. I, I would, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Look to see what some of the other stuff out there is too. So Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, have a great day and get some sleep. Thank you. Get some sleep and, uh, but not during your meeting. Right. Of course not. Obviously more coffee. I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye, Brett. The system is going down low.